Hey guys, this is Trevor. Just wanted to let you guys know that for the first like half hour, 20 minutes or so of this episode, I had my mic muted. So I went back and re-recorded some of my some of what I said, but my audio probably won't sync up with my video for the first 20 minutes or so if you're watching this on YouTube. But other than that, enjoy the video, guys. Welcome back to Following Know It On, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 39. We have a couple interludes to do at the end of part three here. We have a lift interlude, and Tim is here to help us with that. Uh, how are you, Tim? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm really glad to join you guys. Great. And uh, Paul, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, it's been a good week. Uh, you see, we got some good feedback on our on our video over Adolin's duel, which was super fun. So I'm hoping this week we can did be get just some as good fun. content from also, that. Also, it's always it's always a good week to have Tim with us too. So glad he's here. Elliot, how are you? Doing doing good. This was a nice little break into some interludes here. Some really intriguing stuff in in these ones actually so i'm really excited to to talk about it okay do you have two words to summarize this episode uh you know i do so i've got for these chapters hunger and control hunger and control okay uh paul i do my two words for this week are vengeful and spirit. Okay, let's discuss these words for episode 39. All right, Elliot, we can start with you. What were your two words? My second one was control. I, I'll start with hunger. Hunger was like this running, I couldn't tell if it was running theme or running gag throughout the, the whole first kind of interlude here. Some really interesting things going on with this new lift character and some new like magical mechanics that we've got kind of working along with her hunger which was really different it was just kind of i don't know very surprising and kind of out of the blue i i did not really see that coming so so interesting stuff there but but also in the parshendi chapter i think eshenai is starting to feel this like hunger for power or hunger for control actually which is my my second word and, and tied it in there we have this Definitely a a battle for control in this uh, Parshendi chapter, uh, and then also going back to the lift interlude, we have our dark crescent scarred man show up again, who seems to be bent on controlling kind of what's going on and who's gets to live, pretty much. So, yeah, that's it. Okay. Paul, what about your two words? Yes. So 
I actually was super close to choosing hunger as one of my two words for lift. Um, I actually chose spirit. Um, so my two words were vengeful and spirit. I chose spirit mostly for lift. Uh, she's got a lot of character, and, and it's at least portrayed very highly in the audiobook. Um, I forgot the name of the, the reader, but she did a great job. Yes, she did an outstanding job. I feel like portraying Lyft um, in a in a mostly lighthearted way, you know. And she's a pretty quirky character, so uh, pretty fun. And the other is Vengeful, and I, I think it's fairly obvious to see that that's for our Zeph interlude. Um as well as some other stuff with with Kaladin in jail, he's not super happy about it. So, um, yeah, vengeful. I think it's funny that Brandon Sanderson put one of the longest chapters in the Lift interlude, and one of the shortest chapters uh, right next to the Zeth interlude. So, I can hand it over to Tim right here and have him talk about Lift for a bit because Lift is his favorite character. Go for it, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, I I really like Lift. She's a, a fun character, um, optimistic and yet pessimistic at the same time. And that it, it's hard to get her down. Um, man, yeah, I really like her story here and the progression of she's just, her, her whole, whole point <laughs> of going into the palace is to steal their food because she's bored. Yeah. And hungry. And hungry. Yeah, and you're 13, so what do you do? Um, no, I I really like her as a character, and then I really like her growth um, throughout uh, this series. Okay. Yeah. Elliot, what were your thoughts on, on this lift interlude, your first impressions? I think my my first impression was humor i i was chuckling a bit as i was reading this one just because like you said tim lift is a pretty quirky character she she's very different from a lot of characters that we've had so far and i just kind of felt my or i, I was just kind of chuckling as we're you know watching a, a much younger character a much more immature character if you will kind of process the the world around and then i even noticed just the even though like the narration of this section is written at like a lower reading level, if you will. And that's kind of maybe a derogatory way to say that, that I don't really mean it's, it's, it's written in the style of the character that it's about. And just, it makes for a very different chapter that you, that you read through very different from the much more kind of heavy and more grander scale stuff that we've just come out of with this big duel with Kaladin and, and Adolin. And now here we are into just kind of goofy lift sneaking around this, this palace trying to steal the food and, and joking about breasts and, you know, all the goofy, you know, whatever is going on in this chapter that you're just like, okay. It's very it's refreshing. Yeah. And it's very short. The zip interlude was like actually less than a tenth, probably of of the lift interlude. For real, I have more. I took more notes on interlude nine than I did the next three chapters combined. Like easily, way way more stuff packed into this this lift chapter. But 
lots of really cool stuff and lots of little, lots of little details. I, I'm sure there's way more in here that I did not, you know, don't understand here on my first time through, but I noted down just a ton of stuff like, what is this? What is this? This is probably important, but I don't know why, you know, lots, lots of that kind of stuff that was, that was fun. I, I would enjoy coming back. I'm sure and reading this chapter after knowledge that that you guys have i I'd, I'd be willing to bet there's there's some good stuff in here for the the rereader for sure but it's definitely um yeah yes. but i mean even to start us off we're in uh i think a new place that we haven't been before we're in the city of am i am i going to say it right azamir yes. azamir yeah i i say that hesitantly because we might have actually been here before. I'll, I'll maybe come back to that here in in a little bit. But new place, new kind of setting. Um, yeah, everything's a little different. We do have a spell check, and it's just one, just one name, and it's Lifspren's name. What is his name? Elliot, we'll start with you. I'm hoping this one is straightforward, but sometimes... There. Okay. All right. I'll I'll just I'll just trust my gut then. Lift Spren, his name is Windle. I did. It, it was noted in there, so I did go ahead and write it down. I heard it was Wendell, and I just went very straightforward with it. Um so I went W-E-N-D-A-L-L. Based on how Elliot said it, I'm gonna. I would think it might be an I instead of an E, but Wendley. There is a Y in okay. it, so fancy. W Y N W Y N E L E. Well, okay. Wendell. Wendell. Okay. So one thing I did want to touch on about Wendell, um. Not as much about what he was saying, but I guess what I think is most interesting about him and his relationship, for one, I really like how they juxtapose. I feel like we've seen that pretty commonly with with our characters so far, at like Kaladin and his friend being kind of, you know, polar sides there. Um, I think it's really interesting how Lyft can, like, touch Wendell, like, physically, like, grab a hold and stuff, which is, like, not a thing. Is it? It's, like, not normal, which I think is really interesting, and I'm curious about that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm glad to see it. I feel like some consistency of the spread kind of being a good match for the people they're with, kind of balancing the characters out. I'm, I'm very happy about that. I was I was trying to figure out through this section what kind of spren Windle is, right? Because we have Sill, who we know is an honor spren. We have Pattern, who's a lie spren or cryptic or whatever he wants to be known by. You know, what's going to be like the attribute that Windle is tied to? And I couldn't come up with a guess. There, there's a lot of stuff in here. I'm sure there's maybe something that hints at it, but I couldn't quite decide. Like. Like you said, he seems very serious. He seems very like bent on you know 
teaching Lyft what being a surge binder is about. And she doesn't want any of it, right? She just, you know, doesn't even care. Doesn't even want to, you know, hush now, Voidbringer. Like, don't talk to me. And I, I couldn't figure it out. I don't know if you had any guesses, Paul, but I, I was trying to figure it out. I don't have any serious guesses. I mean, the, the most prominent thing that I thought of is just his growing vines and all that stuff. Yeah. It's more like nature-esque or more like... Definitely. Yeah, the others are more like abstract. I mean, I guess Sill is like wind, but wind is like a... I don't know. It's more abstract in general, I guess. Um, so I don't know. Maybe he, instead of a wind sprint, he's earth sprint, and now we're going to find like fire sprint and water sprint, you know? That'd be kind of cool. Um, they're they're called flame spren. Oh, true. Is it? Yeah. Is this is this the argue, argument of is there like lava spren or magma spren <laughs> below the ground? It's magma spren, right? Anyways, we've already decided that everything has a spren, right? So true. So there's magma spren and lava spren. Two, they're different. I promise. I, I. Yes, ex- true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That, that's a lot of spread knowledge for you. Um, really hope you're not watching this episode for the first time if you're a new watcher because you were lost. Um, anyways, um, I, I don't have a serious guess as to what Wendell is. I guess on the, the aspect of like honor sprint, lie sprint are more like big things. Um, he He's like a little... Tree sprint, like <laughs> he. Do, I don't. I don't think we know enough about him. He does seem more like, yeah. He does seem more like grounded though. So, lightning. Yeah, you could say responsible sprint. That's my guess. Responsibility sprint. That's my guess. Hey Trevor, am I allowed to tell them the name of the sprint? Because I don't know that the books ever tell you the actual name of the sprint i I i'd wait for that i'd wait for that okay you know we'll we'll, we at least have to to wait and see if we can get more information before guessing yeah that's the whole entire point of the podcast is to sit here and (laughs) smile at them as they don't know what they're doing that's true see tim is on our side though i'm glad to see tim on our side because he wants to tell us trevor's like (sighs) well i just i just want to see how far you can run with it if i give you a little bit (laughs) Well, I, I don't can, have to give you anything. I can take us a little mm-hmm. further down the rabbit hole, and this is jumping perhaps a little bit ahead, but I, I think we got handed what Lyft's first oath is. She, We learn that she's an edge dancer, and we get given the line later on. It, it's, it's a little bit kind of out of context, as if it's just like a thought of hers, but it says, I will remember those who have been forgotten. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, that's like right in the vein of the like oaths that we've seen Kaladin speaking. That's got to be like oath number one for the edge dancers. dancers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that quite, you know, like tells me what this, what window might be, you know, maybe like memory spren or something like that. I completely guessing, but that, that might be a hint for us that what could be her oath. Yeah, I think it's technically the the second oath. 
because the first one is Life Before Death. Oh, it's that the new full destination. Gotcha. Yep, I yeah. knew that. But you you're right there. So I think it's kind of interesting. So um Lyft, I guess, knows the the ideal or whatever of the edge dancers. But she doesn't, or at least whenever we meet her, she doesn't know like what her power is, right, or like how it works and stuff. Because she, it's funny she refers to it as her awesomeness, which yep. I, I I couldn't help but laugh here, like hearing that over and over. It was just like Elliot said, it was written like from the perspective of like this thirteen-year-old kid, like, and and then I was funny. awesome, yeah. It's all her lift yeah. used her awesomeness. It was super effective. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, so I want to talk about darkness for a second and who Lyft describes darkness as. What are his motives? What is he doing here? He knows Lyft is here. What why is he here? Elliot, did you pick up on this at all? Yes. I, I did. So first First off, this is clearly the guy we've seen a couple times now. He's shown up in an interlude. We saw him in, what, the prologue of this book. Yasna ran into him randomly in the middle of the, the palace. We saw before in the previous interlude that he, like, hunted a guy who's making shoes, right? And he was a surge binder, and he killed him. And we, we kind of surmised that he was hunting down surge binders and taking them out, which is consistent with exactly what he's doing here. He's he's tracking down Lyft. He somehow, yeah, knows she's there and knows she has abilities. And he also picks up immediately that she's an edge dancer. He, I, I think he might even be the one that tells us that you're, or maybe it's Wendell, I don't remember, says that she's just by witnessing the abilities that she has. So this guy knows a lot. This guy clearly knows exactly what he's doing. He's very experienced at hunting down surge binders which that brings up all kinds of questions of you know why is he doing this who the heck is he but but you're right a few interesting things happen here i to kind of run through them in, in order we see him bring out some sort of animal that sucks the light the storm light out of lift and we don't get a a, a super detailed description of this of this creature my only guess was that maybe perhaps this is a larkin which we saw before in the the interlude with um Rissen, that's right Rissen, and at the you know where she like falls off the island and and lands in the water and breaks her legs and then they give her this larkin which were kind of important and we don't know why just the description of that creature seemed to maybe be similar to what we just saw here and i'm kind of just correlating the larkin was really important for some reason this is a rather impressive ability that this little creature has so he does that somehow which you know brings lift under under control pretty easily um what else happens here he he's clearly a surge binder lift notices that surge binding as he's doing we don't quite see like what he's doing or exactly how enough to pick up. And then, yeah, eventually he captures her, tries to kill her, but then her little friend that she saves from dying stops him. 
lot of stuff packed all in a few pages. I want to think slightly about the Larkin. So I, I remember that chapter, the, the Risen Interlude. And isn't it like, isn't a Larkin basically just a dragon? Maybe I don't remember for sure. It's like a little. It's like a crab dragon. Reptile thing. And dragon crab. Of, of course. Of course, a dragon crab mix. Um, and I, I'm really sad that I don't remember the description of the creature here, but I remember it being very weird, like very. <laughs> comical even i've Um, got it right here if you'd like me to read it i would i actually would love to the the little animal was like a kremlin but with wings bound wings tied up legs and had a strange little face not crabbish like a kremlin more like a tiny axe hound with a snout mouth and eyes it seemed sickly and its shimmering eyes were pained how could she tell that Maybe, maybe it is. I, I thought I remembered it being something else, but I, I definitely I, could. I be think the wings are the. I think the wings are what made me think of it, describing it having wings, and I remember the, the larkin being described the same way. Could be something different. Could I think it could be something different at this point? But this is, a, a possibility here. But, yeah, intriguing, ability there if. Very true. So this this chapter brings up some very interesting questions about him that we haven't really seen. I think this is the most we've ever seen of him. By so we get some information, but he keeps getting described, and I think this is from Lyft's point of view that he's he keeps being described with having dead eyes, and I think it's Wendell is terrified of him. Wendell's like keeps mentioning something about how abnormal or terrible or weird or something that he is all of that wonder is this guy not even human is this guy like something else entirely you know lift describes him as darkness he seems to be almost just kind of this void of life kind of thing but on the flip side he's clearly a surge binder he has some of those abilities he has a shard blade um which Maybe all that kind of points to him being human. I do got to say, I think he is a surge binder, and I even have a guess to what order I think he might be in. And we didn't really get to see much of what his abilities are, so we don't really know what his surges are. Not that that would tell us a whole lot, because really all we know about right now is what Windrunners and Lightweavers. So if he's not one of those, we're not going to really know what he's doing. But the way he talks got me. He he talks about the law and how everything revolves around following the law. And he's described as like, a, and he doesn't care about what should be done. He just cares about enforcing the law. And I say this, with like a little bit of a tear in my eye, I think this guy might be a skybreaker. And I I say it with a tear in my eye because that's the order that I tested into of skybreaker. And this does not seem like the kind of guy that uh, I want to be in an order with here. So I'm, I'm a little nervous that maybe he is just because from the brief 
descriptions, the little details we've gotten in some of the um, epigraphs before and a little bit of the info on the the test we took, it seems like those kinds of ideals seem to line up with kind of what the skybreakers are about. So that's my guess at this point. Seems logical, but I guess we'll see. Imagine not being a windrunner. Dang. <laughs> yeah, or not being an edge dancer. Ugh. Yeah, honestly. Wow. Well, one of the things I wanted to bring up in case you guys didn't notice um, was page 696 of, I'm not sure exactly. I think the hardback of, is what it would be. Um, I've got the, the Kindle version, but it tells me the page number. Anyway, uh, this is from Lyft's perspective. Ha, huh, Lyft thought. Someone scratched a face off that one talking about um talking about paintings mm -hmm. who'd ruin a painting like that and such a fine one the heralds all in a row any thoughts this was definitely something i noticed right away it's got to be just the same as um we've seen this like several times like two or three times now um someplace with statues where one of the heralds are, is missing, as well as the the prelude, right, where there's nine swords and nine of them come out, and one's left behind. Uh, I'm assuming that this is the same thing that's being alluded to. It's just this, too. I, I noted this down, and I thought the same thing that you're thinking, Paul. I think it also might just be the of the mistress that we saw in that one interlude where she was going through and just like randomly vandalizing the art. That was also why hesitantly say that this is a new place that we've, that we've been. I was trying to remember back. I didn't get a chance to go back and read that interlude. I probably should have, uh, if that interlude told us where that was, I want to say it was either in Azir or like Amul or one of the other, lands down there but they talk about like primes in that interlude i remember that's that's stuff they talk about so is this just a you know leftover from the mistress has been here and she put this this herald painting I, i'm not sure great question any thoughts on why she would be doing this We've talked about that before, and we didn't come to any very solid conclusions. We, we, we basically, Paul and I, if I remember right, just kind of shrugged our shoulders as to we. She's going through and and vandalizing all the, all the stuff. We're we're kind of waiting for her to resurface and become important again, and she she hasn't really yet. So I've got my eye out for her, but no real concrete theories. Any more thoughts on Lyft's interlude? I have one last one if you guys don't. Go for it. Uh, I just wanted to point out at the end um, when Darkness is following the law and lets Lyft go. Um, he says, 
I'll, I'll just read from here. His shard blade vanished to mist. He'd been bested, but he didn't seem to care. Not a curse, not even a tightening of the eyes. He stood up and pulled on his gloves by the cuffs. First one, then the other. Praise Yezir, he said. Herald of kings, may he lead in wisdom if he ever stops drooling. Any thoughts on that? At the end, did it say, may he lead in wisdom if he ever stops drooling or dreaming? Drooling. 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 Okay. Um, I forgot that was in there. I I put some question marks on my notes about that name in particular of, of trying to think about who that is because they say that a couple times it, it's almost like a like a curse or an expletive that they use you know for, for Yazir's sake or whatever it is they they say but when he says king of heralds we know who the king of the heralds is right we met him all the way back at the prelude that's um Yezrian or he's got other names right yep but we mm-hmm. know that guy's the leader of the the heralds and and, and Yezir is not that far off of like a soundingish name so i'm kind of guessing that's another version of of his name or this is kind of another culture that just has a different name uh for him so i'm guessing that's who that's a reference to the drooling i i did question that too paul i was like wait is that a typo drooling is, is, <laughs> is that what he meant to say like that's a little weird the only guess i had as to why he would say something like that is I, we know the heralds are super old right they're like at least 4,000 years old, right? Because we saw them 4,000 years ago. Who knows how long ago they've been around before then. So maybe he's just making some sort of reference to how old he is. And he's like, you know, can't even do anything but drool. He's so old. Completely a guess. Completely a guess. I really have no idea. I'm not quite sure either. My guess is that like... I don't know, maybe Yezir's taking a long nap or something. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like both of those guys, guesses. Yeah. To necessarily could be both. No, honestly. But... So, so before we move on, I want to like kind of recap what we just learned here in this interlude because we just learned a bunch, right? We've, as I mentioned before, all we've really seen before is Windrunners and light weavers we just got a bunch of information about edge dancers we know that they have spren which we expected that we got to see her spren her spren like is this vine that like grows along the ground um in that way we know that that spren is somehow related to the old magic we didn't really get to talk about this but it's kind of referenced that somehow that's related to the old magic we don't really know why um we know that Edge dancers can affect growth and friction are essentially their surges, right? Like those are their two surges we've learned. So they can grow things or regrow things as we see at the end. And then they can slide around really fast like they're on ice. And then lift can like metabolize food into stormlight, which I was trying to figure out if that's an edge dancer thing or if that's a lift thing. And I couldn't quite figure it out. It seems like that's a lift thing, but I could be wrong. Maybe that answer thing. A little I, weird. 
Hey, just to jump in on that right quick. Yeah. I definitely took that as an edge dancer thing. Um, just because I would assume that all of the, or like people in one Knights mm-hmm. Radiant group, like wouldn't use Stormlight differently, I guess. Like it would all basically be the same. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know, maybe it's awkward. We, this would be kind of weird, but maybe it's a location thing. Like, so Kaladin and Shalon and Seth are the ones we've seen. No, I'm going to discount that because we've seen them suck in Stormlight, right? That's right. like the normal thing. And I was going to say Kaladin and Shalon, and Shalon do, the, do it the same way. I was going to say the same with Seth, but he's from Shinovar, and I, I would count that as a different place, but. Knows. I think it's an edge dancer thing. Long story short, uh, unless there's something really, really unique about Lyft specifically. Mm-hmm. But something we do know is unique to Lyft is her ability to touch her Spren, or like her ability to interact with Spren. I think that's isn't, mentioned specifically. Isn't Wendell surprised that that happens? Yes, and, I, I yeah. think they even talk about that. Lyft, you know, says that, and Wendell's like, "Well, you're not." be able to you know interact with me like that but you can so that's weird and okay so we know that then we're, we're learning a lot more about this darkness guy who has surge binding abilities he's got a shard blade he obeys the law that's his his overarching rule he's coming after all the surge binders he can find i feel like that's all the big points but lots of of information coming in this is in this interlude way more than i think we've learned in at least any of the recent interludes that we've been through, lots of stuff. So is it's a bunch of characters that we really haven't met or don't have anything to do with our main characters, but it also feels very relevant. So, you know. Yep. Yeah, I will that, say. Go ahead. It's one thing that I love about interludes in general, in them, how Brandon Sanderson uses them because. We can always kind of look back to them and get little pieces of information. Um, and it's always like new. You never know what you're going to get. So I really liked this uh, interlude. I liked all of these interludes. So, Yeah, I will say Darkness, while he, he seems to understand right away, as we said, from watching Lyft, that she's an edge dancer. But he doesn't expect her to be able to have access to storm. That's true. He is confused when he yeah. when Lyft like goes for the dinner roll. You know, like yeah. she has a chance to break for it. Instead of running, she grabs a dinner roll, and the guy's like, "All that for a dinner roll?" So you're right. He he that surprised that part of it surprised him. Mm-hmm. Interesting. As usual, lots of answers and even more questions. This next interlude is quite a bit shorter and a lot less information uh, is is given to us. Seth's kind of just moping in Eurothero. He he's in Eurothero, so that's kind of cool. Uh, we have no idea where that is, but he says he's there, so that's that's kind of that's kind of cool. Anybody want to pick this up? I would he love seems to. to think he's sane. That's pretty funny. Um, so I'm actually going to skip to Trevor's last point where he said Zeth is dot 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 not happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that basically sums it up. Um, 
So Zeph here is questioning everything. He last time we saw him, he had his fight with Kaladin and them and found out that there are other surge binders and things like that. And we find out that's what he's made truthless for. Um he raised the alarm that the Knights Radiant were coming back. Um and I guess he was like seen as crazy for it and and marked as truthless. And he starts questioning everything at this point, like what is truthless? Like if if they are back, if I wasn't wrong, then this whole oath stone business has just been for not like there's no validity to it so that just means he's been killing people for no reason. no reason and and he's very upset with that um and he says he might kill some people because he wants to you know so <laughs> he's not feeling too good at the moment but i'm really excited to see where this goes just because I, he's he's determined to get to the bottom of this and to make things straight and so i think we're going to find out a lot more information as we go forward with with more zeth stuff as to how he got to his current spot and who's who's the people kind of behind this pulling the strings here and everything like that um I, yeah, Zeth, Zeth is questioning everything at this point, right? I mean, everything that has defined his existence for the past, you know, however, since he was thrown out from the, the Shinovar people, he's also, I think a little bit in denial still at this point. I mean, he, he's questioning, you know, everything I thought was wrong. Are all these people I killed, was that for was that for nothing, but it, it's kind of like Shalon actually a little bit where he's like almost kind of shutting that out where he's, he's, he's like, Oh, I, I can't think about that. You know, I've already got these demons that are terrorizing me. Every time I close my eyes, he, he's afraid to blink because he during that blink, he, you know, sees the people he's killed and hears the, the screams. And so if he admits that he killed all those people for nothing, I feel like he's going to just snap right and just kind of like explode or you know like just completely break and so he, he he can't do that and so he almost can't accept what he's seen even though he he knows that seeing kaladin and seeing what kaladin can do means that what he's been through has been a lie he still can't accept it and he's really mad about it elliot you've made this comparison really. in the past uh with zeth but if you think back to the Wandersail chapter with with Hoyd and Kaladin, yes. the whole the whole punchline to that that chapter, if you will, is if if the higher power behind your orders doesn't actually exist, whose fault is all of these is all of these crimes? So to to thirty seconds summarize, the people um, of the Great Abyss is what they call themselves, and they punished by death anybody who makes the slightest infraction and they always say the um the emperor or whoever does not accept failure and then 
um the guys go up into the tower figure out the the dude has been dead and has been dead for years and then everybody freaks out that if he if he's dead if he has been dead then the faults of all of these murders and all of these deaths are on us not on him because he's dead so same thing same thing here if zeth <laughs> if Seth's not truthless or if he doesn't actually have to follow this oath stone or whatever the, whatever the rules are here if that's not the case then whose fault is all these deaths that Zeth's been told to do? Yep, exactly. Paul, I did want to get your your thoughts and your take on a little bit of, I think, new information that we're getting here about Zeth's past and that he he hints at why he became truthless. We've been wondering about this for a really long time, and I think this is this is a first really concrete hint we've got here and that he says that it was because he was like trying to raise the alarm about the return of the radiance and or the void bringers i'm i'm not quite sure how to how to process this or, or how that like how that went down in his land i mean we know that the, the truth right they never tell a lie and so we've guessed before that you know maybe zeth told a lie and then they kicked him out is this apparently the the lie in told like Paul, what were you thinking when he talked about that? All right, I definitely think so. Um, that's what he he's basically saying is that this this was like what deemed him truthless. Um, was was this was raising that alarm? So I'm assuming he he told whoever, hey, the night's radiant is coming back, and they were like, no, nah, you. I don't know how their whole system works, but whoever's in charge deemed that no, that's crazy, like you're wrong. So he was deemed truthless, um, and then is now where he is now. But I don't know. I guess I don't know about that process, right? Like I don't know, did they Right give him an oath stone and is is that part of being truthless or is that something else i'm not quite sure maybe this was like a more capital offense than just telling a lie or something like yelling fire or something <laughs> um i the other part of it too i'm trying to put in the right place is is his shard blade or honor blade or whatever it is that he has how does that fit into the equation too? Like, did that come after he was made truthless or did that come before he was made truthless? Or is that part of why this whole process went down? Did he find that honor blade and somehow part of that was like, he discovered something and it was like, Hey, the Knights Radiant are coming back and the Voidbringers are coming back. And then he gets thrown out. Like where did Shardbearer Zeth come about in the timeline? of it all that's another question i've got that's a good one i don't i really don't know i want to say you had it before that's my guess if if not then i feel like it's kind of lame like <laughs> they're just like hey go kill that guy with your search binding powers and he didn't it happened to be a shard blade so he got a shard blade or something i feel like that wouldn't happen um i wonder too he's in your here when we see him right he mentions that this is not the first time he's been to Eurythiru. He's been there before. 
I wonder if he found his blade here in Urethiru. That would be a good place. If he was like, he just came across it and didn't, you know, kill someone to take it like we've seen all the other times we've seen someone get a shard blade. I wonder if he found it in Urethiru somehow. That might be part of it. That could explain things also because from what we've heard of, I guess, with Urethiru, like we know it's a different place. Um, someone, and so that could explain why he's he's different. Maybe if he got his shard blade or his powers in Urethiru, mm-hmm. some different kind of next level surge binder, you know, the Jedi Temple. Exactly. Pretty much. <laughs> he read straight from the sacred texts. <laughs> I want to. I want to just read the quote on how this interlude ends. It's Zeth talking to himself in his head. Uh, it would take days to get to where he was going, but he would find answers, or barring that, someone to kill, of his own choice this time. I just wanted to read that because Zeth's mental state right now is volatile, volatile at best. He's not not happy with his situation. He needs to go find answers. That's what he's going to do. We, he doesn't tell us where he's going, but he's going to go demand answers and or beat somebody up because he's questioning everything. Tim, do you have anything about Zeth before we move on? I do. Um, all the way back in Way of Kings Interlude 6, um, when we're learning about Zeth, um, we see him here. Okay. Yeah. Page 492, Interlude 6. Makek had begun to believe those rumors that Zeth had a shard blade. He hadn't yet demanded that Zeth relinquish the blade. If he did so, he would discover the second of Zeth's two forbidden actions. He was required to carry the blade until his death, after which Shin stone shamans would recover it from whomever had killed him. So that, that brought up some questions, and I thought of that when when you mentioned um, you're talking about Zeth's past. Yeah, yeah, that that is some helpful info there because obviously that means the, the the shamans from Shinovar are aware of the fact that he, he has one. The implication there might even be that like the sh- people own that blade and so if he loses it, they're going to come, you know, claim it you know, take it back. So yeah, that does that does definitely play into the equation there. Okay. We have our last interlude of this part. We have interlude eleven, which is Eshenai point of view. And not all is well with the the Parshendi here. By the end of the by the end of the chapter we have some people deserting and 
people threatening to be killed over not taking a storm form and we, we there's certainly a lot of unrest here among the Parshendi. Does anybody want to start with this one? I I would actually really like to. Um, so I I will say I think this is my least favorite of the three interludes we read, um, and the only reason for that not that it was bad, but that I I feel like I knew basically everything that was coming, for the most part. We know Esh and I ever since getting Stormform is like basically being controlled. Uh, it even says that Esh and I hears a like uh, a rhythm that's like someone crying for help or something, and, and you can just tell it's like actual Esh and I is like hidden deep in somewhere. Does is trying to maybe fight back and. Um, Stormform Eshenai is trying to take over all the Parshendi right now. Um, and just with everything we've seen since discovering Stormform, that seems pretty like straightforward, I guess. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. Uh, Eshenai is very commanding and trying to get rid of all these unnecessary other forms. Um, she says I can get almost everyone to storm form. Um, so yeah, I like there were no, I guess, really profound thoughts that I had about this. Um, it, it was just more straightforward in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. It it definitely was not not nearly as much. You know, reading between the lines here or, or hidden information. And I too was kind of cringing a bit in this, this chapter just because it's it's frustrating to watch the the Parshendi fall apart like this. We were so close to peace and now we're going so far away from you know any any chance at peace. We we I got very excited when we first met Esh and I thinking, oh, here's Here's someone with, you know, a good head on their shoulders. Here's someone who can talk sense, is going to be willing to listen. She's so changed. She is so different. This is a very different version of Esh and I. Someone who is completely taking over. Someone who's willing to execute people who don't do what she wants them to do. Like, wow, what a what a turnaround. Yeah, really the only thing I wanted to point out was um, this is the reason why the negotiations didn't turn out. It was literally like a week or or so of if the negotiations were a week before, they could have maybe worked something out. Yep. But instead she's in storm form when that happened. This is definitely the movie or show moment where you just kind of yell at your TV or something. And uh, get upset because it was so so close to to working out, but now we just kind of along for the ride, I think. But not all the Parshendi are on the same page here. There are some that desert and refuse to take storm form and run. And the when the the report comes to Esh and I, Esh and I's like, well, what about the guards? Did they kill the guards that were? looking after them and 
they're like, uh, no, the guards went with them. <laughs> so there's not everybody's on the same page here with Stormform. Some some of the Parshendi are super on board with it. Some of them are afraid of it. So to, to the point where they will uh, desert and abandon their, their families here. So discord, if you will, among Parshendi. Yeah, I I was very surprised that the the other warforms were willing to desert. I thought that the um, the way the Parshendi worked, they would have had more faith in Eshenai or something like that. Now, granted, it was probably the right time to desert, um, but that that one did take me by surprise. I I'm starting to think of like war form for the Parshendi is like the Dalinar form. You know, that's the, you know, they, they are about war. They are about, you know, fighting, but, but it's also like a form of, you know, honor and, and doing the right thing and, you know, achieving the goal. They're very goal driven and like, let's get this done. A very logical thinker through the things. Whereas like storm form is more like the, the Zeth form. It's the, you know, I'm going to wreck the house form because I feel like this needs to be done because know, I can. Of, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Kind of, kind of thing. So I, I actually was not surprised that the war forms were, you know, there was Eshenai's general. I forget what his name was that kind of food. I think, I think so. I think he, so. I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. Kind of, kind of led that. So he, yeah. And I think Eshenai even, she even has a moment where she kind of reveals that she, intentionally did not have her trusted like generals and and soldiers change with her because she knew that they were like logical thinkers and that they would question her and so that she she very intentionally chose other more like weaker minds to transform into storm form first because she knew she could control them so yeah interesting interesting and manipulation and all kinds of stuff going on in the Parshendi camp. I just want to highlight how dire of a situation that Thude would have had thought to Thude would have thought it to be that he would desert because Eshenai assumes that they're dead because they left two days before a high storm. And so Eshenai's not even worried about it. She says, Oh, they're dead anyway. Forget about them. And Thud and the rest of uh, the deserters ran for it anyway because they thought that was a better solution than uh, accepting Stormform. I did want to say one thing about this. Um, with with Prashendi deserters, um, that gives me hope for... I feel bad. I don't remember his name. What was our bridgeman? Uh... Relaine. Shen, Shen Relaine. Yes, Shen or Relaine. Yeah. Um, it gives me hope because I feel like he's going to try and come back and maybe run into these deserters or see all the stuff going on here and be take his bit of inspiration that he saw with Kaladin and them um, and maybe turn that into some kind of Parshendi revolt or something. There's a lot of tension and, and stuff going on now with the Parshendi with Stormform. That that kind of opens up a way that maybe Shen could be a cooler character. Um, 
or maybe he could get storm form and then I'll lose thought and go try and kill Kaladin, which would not be as cool. But um, that would not th- be as cool. Yeah, there would be more. Um, I see some like options opening up where he could become a bigger character as time goes on, and I think that's really cool. I, uh, that's what I'm hoping for. I would love to see that. Well, and pulling on that string a little more, like what if you know Kaladin has inspired enough in him to where then let, let's say theoretically he does take storm form, maybe his voice of reason is loud enough to where he can you know control himself in storm form, and then maybe he has enough power to go up against let's say. Esh and I and and maybe stand up against her be all because you know Kaladin had that effect on him that would be quite the storyline that would be really cool I like that any more thoughts on our interludes I wanted go for it I, I do want to note I do want to note something here real quickly actually Esh and I we see over the course of this interlude has some new rhythms in her in her head you know some new radio stations she can she can tune into uh with the the things that she hears but i noticed that they're all very like dangerous and and hateful and angry like she now has the rhythm of ridicule and the rhythm Mm -hmm. of destruction and the rhythm of fury and the rhythm of spite like all these just like nasty things that you know I, i i totally see all that like playing into this you know new persona that she has like bringing out all the negative things in her potentially because she's listening to this you know nasty angry power hungry radio stations she's got the teenage angst music playing in the background yeah exactly yeah i i would say more extreme than necessarily bad sure um in terms of what they are but they are definitely things we we would generally indicate, you know, ridicule versus, you know, laughter or something like that. They're different. Um, but yeah, I I would steer that direction. But definitely, yeah, definitely like very different. Yep. Good stuff. All right. Any closing thoughts on the interludes before we do chapter 59? Uh, I like no. Lyft. I also like Lyft. Zeth isn't evil. He's just misunderstood. <laughs> you have been you have been claiming that for quite a while, so I have. And it, I'll be honest, at this point it will take a lot to take me away from that. But <laughs> um but I'm, I'm still. Is he misunderstood? Cool. If he misunderstands himself, it does. Does that count? Yeah, sure. If he was misled, <laughs> sure. I think that's more accurate than misunderstanding himself. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that Zeth is going to before the the end of this book, and I am, I am looking forward to maybe seeing what else he does before this book is over, and then you know, kind of revisiting our do. Zeth discussion, but I, I do want to see what happens between now and the end of the book if we get more Zeth between between then. But I do want to come back into you know, do you feel sorry for for Zeth? 
All right. Chapter 59 into part four of Words of Radiance. Kaladin is in jail. If you guys don't remember, he requested a boon that was not given to him and challenged Amram in front of everybody, and he was arrested for it. And Dalinar was not happy. Elikar was extremely not happy. Kaladin is now not happy. And the only person who might be happy after all of that duel is Adolin because he got like five shards out of it and he and didn't, he's alive and he yeah. didn't die so Adolin's Adolin's we're, we're assuming he's happy but everybody else is upset so Wit is also having a nice time Wit is having a nice time so we can mm-hmm. when is he not happy this is yeah this is a fun this is a fun Wit chapter I will give you that Kaladin is sitting in here moping Sill and Kaladin have a couple back and forths and then Wit shows up. Do we want to talk about Syl and a couple things she says before we talk about Fleet and this uh, this story that Kaladin gives to Wit? Yeah, I think we should talk about Syl first. I think it's pretty straightforward um, in comparison, at least. So this is a common thing we've seen with, with Syl and Kaladin. Syl is kind of the voice of reason for Kaladin when he gets all sad boy hours he gets really upset um he is now swearing that there there are no good light eyes again dalinar is crooked just like the rest of them uh because he didn't get his way and albeit it is like extreme circumstances it kind of bugged me a little bit i understand you're upset you're in jail you know i get it (laughs) kind of but, uh, I mean, this happens every time something doesn't go his way. See, if something doesn't go his way and he hates all light eyes and still is like, stop it. <laughs> or, this is the duality of Kaladin. It's that, or something goes well and he's like, oh, but this one little thing could have been better. And still is like, stop it. And that's Kaladin in a nutshell. There's one thing that still says here that I did notice and wanted to, to highlight because it maybe reinforces a little bit of what we actually talked about in one of the interludes. So they're, they're having a you know, discussion like, you know, does he break out of jail? Does he not? And still kind of ultimately concludes laws don't matter. What's right matters. And that kind of embodies I, I'm, extrapolating a little bit here perhaps you know a bit of the mindset of like the wind runner right they're they're about you know doing the right thing protecting those who need protection not necessarily you know the exact opposite of what we just say in an interlude like almost word for word he 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 comes out and says it's not about what's good it's about following the law just very very opposite there and there what they're saying there i i don't know if that this is my my guess that he's a skybreaker i don't know enough about skybreakers and windrunners and how they work together but very very opposite here those two little mindsets time for wit 
I want to talk about Kaladin a little bit longer, though. Uh, how long do you guys think Kaladin's going to be in here? Do you think Dalinar's going to leave him here, or do you think they're going to get him out? He's going to be there for a while. Maybe not his, like, I don't know what his full sentence is or whatever. Um, but, I mean, he's not getting out, like, any in a week or so. It's going to be a while. It's going to be several months, I think. I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on the other end of the spectrum. I, Kaladin is not the most patient person ever. I'm gonna guess one of two things is gonna happen: either Dalinar is gonna get him out in a reasonably short amount of time, or Kaladin is gonna lose patience and he's gonna break out in a reasonably short amount of time. So, I would guess we're talking more about weeks than than months. Would be my guess. Isn't that one of the first conversations he has? right here is asking Syl if he would if she would help him break out if he wanted to and Syl's like well do you want to and Kaladin says I might have to I don't know so he he's already restless and he's only been there for what what a day a couple hours at this point so all right I do want to read part of or part of wit's entrance here because it's not because it's like a big profound quote it's just one of my favorites and it's really funny to me uh this is wit speaking to start perhaps a story for a child wit said i will tell you one to get you in the mood a bunny rabbit and a chick went frolicking in the grass together on a sunny day a chick baby chicken kaladin said and a what Ah, forgot myself for a moment, Wit said. Sorry. Let me make it more appropriate for you. A piece of wet slime and a disgusting crab thing with 17 legs slunk across the rocks together on an insufferably rainy day. Is that better? <laughs> Kaladin says yes. Yes, Kaladin like says. Line is kind of like, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah that works. <laughs> uh, I, I love that line so much because it's, it's so funny because it, it fits so well with how Brandon Sanderson set this up, and Brandon Sanderson is making fun of his own world building here. It's like, oh, wait, I forgot where I am. Hold on. And then he, a disgusting slime and a crab thing with 17 legs. It's, I, I really enjoy it. That was funny. I, I think the, what, what, I I'm trying to put my thoughts together here. So this with wit, this conversation or this story that goes with wit and Kaladin is interesting to me because I don't know if, how intentional it was or not. Like, I don't know if it was supposed to make Kaladin think or if it was way deeper than that. Cause he starts like telling a story and Kaladin makes assumptions about it. Um, and then at the end, wit is like, Oh, like I haven't heard that story before, or something like, like as if it wasn't planned, and he kind of let Kaladin make the story. Right. And it was kind of complex, I guess. It's something that, I, in all honesty, I didn't want to dive too deep into because I was a little afraid. Like, <laughs> um, I feel like it could be really deep. It's it's one of those stories of like it's whatever you make it to be. Therefore, I tried to not think about it. <laughs> Didn't make it anything, so it wasn't anything. Yeah, exactly. I I actually had a similar reaction to you, Paul. I I got through the whole thing, 
and I really didn't take many notes throughout the whole thing because I'm I'm waiting for you know pieces to make sense. I kind of get to the end and it's like, okay, <laughs> now what? Like, I'm glad we have Trevor and Tim here actually because they might probably not, but they might be willing to tell us you know whether this is this is important or not. But I kind of got to the end and was like, yeah, okay, moving on. What was that? It's, it's as important as you would like it to be. Fleet is the little train that could. On the uphills, he's got to go chug, 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 chug. And then on the downhills, he goes. Mm-hmm. Beep, 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 beep. Exactly that. Yeah. That's how the story goes. He loses ground yeah. on the uphill and gains ground on the downhill. And as he's mm-hmm. go, trying to get over the misted mountains into Shinovar, he dies. Yeah, the misty mountains. Exactly. Huh. I definitely thought he made it up over the mountains and then down and almost to the water. No, because he dies in front of Shinovar. That's why there's no high storms in Shinovar, because they stop. So they don't hit Shinovar. That's the... Right? Well, also, this story is... You get to write it yourself, no, don't you? So... Does he? You're both correct. Yeah. Um, A final challenge raised its head. A final shadow to his dread. The land did rise up once again. The misted mountains guarding Shin... To leave the storming winds behind, our fleet again began to climb. The storm cut up. The storms again came to his back. The winds again did spin around. The time was short, the ending near. As through those mounts, our fleet did dash. It was right upon him, even going down the other side of the mountains. He was unable to stay very far ahead. Gotcha. The only bit of that story, honestly, that I did kind of key in on is actually what happens right after you stopped reading there, Tim. He he dies, right? But then his soul continues on. It it's where, you know, Fleet is is chase he's running away from the storm. He's he's making it, he's staying ahead, but then he dies. But then it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with him dying. His soul like carries on. So that the only thing I could maybe take away from that in like relevance to Kaladin was like the bigger picture of, of what you're doing, you know, Kaladin's kind of fighting this battle of, you know, helping the, the downtrodden and bringing these bridgemen up to, you know, being soldiers and, and back to a real life. And maybe this is kind of just touching on the fact that he's, you know, championing a cause and that that cause is greater than himself. And even if he were to die, that, that cause could still carry on. I, that was the only thing I could, I could pull out of this was perhaps that's what wits, getting at here but as you said when you opened it up with paul wit's not even really telling the story is it wit telling the story or is it story like i don't even know right any any more thoughts on this chapter or the entire episode here uh we've gone a little long but that's okay i actually want to Real quick, go back to the bunny rabbit and the the chick. You you mentioned that as the the humorous like little intro to the section, and I I did laugh pretty good when I when I read that. But then when I was done laughing, the analytical reader in me actually kicked in immediately and thought, you know, this is humorous, this is funny, this is Sanderson making fun of himself, but it also actually tells us some interesting things. It tells us that Wit knows what a bunny rabbit and a chick are mm-hmm. and that 
if nothing else, tells us that wit comes from a different land. I mean, we know that chickens exist in Shin, right? So I suppose bunny rabbits could as well. But if if Kaladin doesn't know what a bunny rabbit is or no one knows what a bunny rabbit is, this is a good solid piece of evidence pointing to, you know, wit is not from here. Like maybe not even from this planet. Right. Kind of, you know, line of line of reasoning. So it is funny. It is seemingly out of place, but actually an of information there as well, I think. In a similar vein, back when Hoyd talks to Shalon in, in the chapter Middlefest, there's a there's an offhand comment about axe hounds. And he asks Shalon, what is an axe hound? What does that what does that uh, name mean? And Shalon's like, what do you mean it's an axe hound? And uh, Hoyt's like, no, 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 you know what an axe is, but what is a hound? And Shalon's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, what, what, do you, what, what do you want? <laughs> so, yep. The, there's been a similar, there's been similar banter here um, to, to think about. Any any more closing thoughts? It's actually super funny about the axe hound. My, my only closing thought in the similar vein is not only does he know what a bunny rabbit is, and I guess what a hound is, um, that's what he sees as normal. Like that, I guess that's his first thought. Yes, um, that's like the the standard for him. Like all the crustacean life here is newer or the non-normal side. Um, so, yeah, exactly. Either from Shen or from some really far away land. So, all right. Yeah, yeah. I... I had two things. Yeah. Um, one, somehow I read through this, the first three books, like two or three times each, before you started this podcast. I, I made it through Words of Radiance three times, and three or four, and then Wave Kings a couple more. And I had never realized that it was literally just, you know, normal earth animals, but crab like until you mentioned it and i don't know why that didn't get through because he literally says crab like thing yeah oh but my second everything point... has a spren and everything's a crab those are your two basic <laughs> rules yeah. for yes, this world true. yes my last thing um you have no idea what this means but just keep it in mind going forward uh wit when he's uh tuning his instrument says perfect pitch wit said makes all this so much easier than it once was i did notice that i just didn't really think about it much so just to you know tantalize you nice food for thought there yeah half of our comment section is laughing right now and the other half is like what the heck was that so Mm -hmm. thank you for that tim and with that, we will close this episode, episode 39 of Following Note On. Thank you for joining me, Elliot, Paul, and Tim, and we will reconvene next week. Very Toodles. Well. Cheers.